Hello, my name is Kathy Harrelson. I am a part of our Women in the Word teaching team, and I'm excited to be here to talk to you about James chapter 5, as this is our last week in the book of James. I was thinking recently about how I am one of those people that is very committed to going to get an annual doctor's appointment, checkup or exam, physical, whatever it's called. That is very important to me. And I know that the doctor is going to talk to me about a variety of things, maybe some things that have happened that year, something that might show up that year on my blood work. But regardless of what we talk about, I know that there are a couple of things that he's going to bring up every year. And I know it's because he thinks it's important and it is absolutely essential to my health. And one of those things that comes up every year is exercise. I know that he thinks that that is important and very essential for me. I know some of us may have physical limits on what exercise can look like. I know I do. And I'll tell you a little bit about me and exercise. I'm not one of those people who wakes up in the morning excited to do it. I know that it is important. Sometimes I enjoy it. I often find it challenging. I am also one of those people who refuse to spend money on nice workout clothes. I know the stores that many of you shop at. My sister is there with you. She is regularly trying to get me to go. I refuse. The most you're ever going to get me to spend is an off-brand clearance item at Academy. That's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to wear nice workout clothes. Also, I do experience FOMO with all of you who work out together as a group. I, however, do not understand how you're able to exercise and breathe and talk to people and listen. So I don't necessarily work out as a group, but I do know that it is important and it is essential. And the doctor brings it up every year. And I've experienced the benefits of it when I do it. What we're going to talk about today may not surprise you, for it is something that comes up often in the scriptures. It is something that has come up in James. It is something that often is at the end of the New Testament letters that we read and study in scripture, and it is absolutely essential for our health, for our spiritual, mental, physical, and emotional health, and that topic is prayer. Talking and listening to God is absolutely essential. And so as we talk about that today, I want you to ask yourself two questions that I often ask myself as the doctor is reminding me to exercise every year. As we talk about my health at that specific point, I'm listening for, is there something I need to tweak or learn about exercise that's really important for me right now? And because prayer, talking, and listening to God probably isn't a totally new topic, I'd love for you to just ask the Lord to show you what is it that I may need to tweak or work on this year. And I also would love for you to ask what I think about as the doctor talks to me every year. I already know it's important. I know I'm supposed to be doing it. I know even some of the benefit of it. But am I doing it? And if not, why not? What do I need as far as the discipline or motivation to step into that in the way that I should? So I'd love for you to also ask yourself that question about prayer. Is it where you would like for it to be or where you need for it to be? And if not, what can you learn? How can you grow? What might motivate you to step into it? Because it is intended to be a gift to us for our health and for our ability to live out everything we've been learning in James. I want to start off in chapter 5 by reading verse 13, and we are going to jump into this idea of prayer. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. We are given this gift of prayer, and we should pray and praise God 
constantly as we walk with him. It is a gift. Pray in the morning, in the evening. If you pray out loud, pray out loud. If you like to journal, write it down. Pray throughout the day. Praise God with song. Praise God. Worship him with words. Whatever it looks like, we get this gift of prayer that is essential for us and for our health and for our life. And we get the gift of being able to talk to God and praise God constantly. As we've been in James, we've been reminded of the fact that we have this friendship with God that is the foundational, ever-present relationship in our lives. That vertical relationship that we individually have with God is incredibly essential and joyful for us. So when things are hard and seasons of difficulty, we have that friend with us and we should talk to and listen to God. And not only when things are difficult, but when we're cheerful, we should praise God. We get the gift of praising God. I want to talk to you about that idea of being cheerful, because sometimes we can equate that with when life is easy, and that's not exactly what the scriptures are getting at. It is getting at a joy and a peace of mind and a courage that may come in a season where circumstances are easy, but it might be in a season when situations are difficult, and we can still praise God. That word for cheerful in the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, was also used in a story in Acts chapter 27. Paul is on a ship. He is with a crew, and they are in a storm on the ocean, and it is terrible. They are violently wind-tossed. They have not eaten very much. They've thrown over cargo. They've thrown over food because they are just trying to survive. In fact, it says they had lost hope of our being saved and was at last abandoned. Things were hard. And then God speaks to Paul and Paul turns and tells those members who are on the ship with him what we're going to read on your verse sheet in Acts chapter 27, verse 22. And we're going to see this word cheerful used in a way that we might be surprised. Paul looks at them and he says, yet now I urge you to take heart. That's that word for cheer. Take heart, have peace of mind, have courage, have some joy. There will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. They can cling to God's promise. And then in verse 25, it's repeated again. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. We have this gift of prayer when things are difficult and when things are easy. And we have this gift of praise, this idea of when, even in the midst of difficulty, we have some courage and some peace of mind. I'm not saying that it's likely the whole time that we're in a difficult, but prayer and praise are not something that is just dependent upon our circumstance. That is something that can and should and gets to make its way into our everyday life. I do not think that it is an accident that prayer comes at the end of everything we've been commanded at the book of James, for we need and get the gift of prayer to live out everything that we've been learning. Pull out your Bible and go back with me to James chapter one, and I've chosen just two things from every chapter. I could have chosen a thousand from every chapter, literally, that I want and need and get to pray for in light of what we've learned in James. In chapter one, we see trials mentioned, and then we are called to pray because it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, how often I need and want God to hear and provide wisdom for me in trials, James pushes me to prayer. 
In verse 17, we read, Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Thanksgiving, me thanking God, is incredibly significant for me as I live out the book of James. As we moved into chapter 2, we saw a command to not show favoritism and partiality, and instead to look at people as God sees them and to look at them through his eyes. And we should, in verse 8, love our neighbor as ourself. And that prompts me to pray, God, open my eyes so that I see people how you see them. In 14 through 26 in chapter 2, we are reminded that faith without works is dead. We are to live out our faith something that regularly makes its way into my prayer life, and I'm so glad God gives and provides, is the strength to do what he's asked me to do. I need the gift of prayer to live out what James has been commanding us. We head into chapter 3, and we are reminded that we need to honor God with our speech. And I'm convicted by verse 10 that says, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. The gift of confession, me being able to say to God, forgive me, I'm sorry I sinned, and to listen to him through scripture as he says that I am forgiven. That is a gift to me as I live out the book of James. Prayer is, again, not just talking to God, but it is listening. And as we've been studying James, we've been listening a lot and should continue to. In fact, when I heard we were studying James, the very first verses that came to mind were verses 16 and 17 in chapter 3, because I can't tell you how many times I've been in a situation and I've thought, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the wise thing to do is. And I've literally pulled out these verses and sat on my bed or wherever I was and thought, okay, Lord, what in this situation is full of jealousy and selfish ambition and how can I stay away from it? And I've asked the Lord, Lord, show me what in this circumstances is pure What is peaceable? What is gentle? What is open to reason? What is full of mercy and good fruits? What is impartial? What is sincere? I need to listen to God as I live out what we've learned in the book of James. In chapter four, we're reminded that God is our friend and we get to enjoy him and we get to praise him. What a great thing that we not just get to experience God, but get to praise him and tell him what we love about him. At the end of chapter four, we saw the call to live out God's will. And that makes me think of the Lord's prayer, your will be done. That is something that I get to and need to pray. And then in chapter five and verse seven, we see the coming of the Lord and what an encouragement that is and how many thousands of times in my life have I asked the Lord for encouragement because things were hard. We are given this gift of prayer to live out everything we've been learning. And we get to incorporate that into our friendship and our relationship with God. However, if you remember, in our very first week, we read verse 1 of chapter 1, and it talks about how this book is written to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. It was not written to one person. It was written to a group of people. James is a group project. It is something that we are to do together. Yes, my relationship with God and my friendship with God is important, But prayer is not just to be something that is between me and Jesus about me and him. It is something that is intended to be a part of our group project together as we pray for one another. 
Let me read verses 14 through 18 in James chapter 5. And I want you to begin to see how we move from this individual discussion that we're having with God into a discussion that involves other people. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. We get to pray for and with each other in times of struggle and in times of temptation. Yes, we have this vertical relationship and friendship with God, but that friendship calls us into a mutual prayerful relationship with other believers. James isn't just meant for me to live out for me. It is meant for us to live out with each other. I think it's so essential that I have put some verses on your verse sheet that I want us to read because we need to start thinking about James as a collective group project instead of just, God, what do you want me to do for me? Read with me in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Many members, one body. In verses 25 to 27, we read that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, we've been talking about this in James, right? It's not like you just suffer alone with Jesus, though that's a part of it. We are intended to all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We cannot do this group project alone. It's more fun with other people, and we are absolutely dependent upon each other to actually live out what we've been learning Look with me in Ecclesiastes 4 on your verse sheet and see again how essential it is that we are in this together. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who's alone, two will withstand him. A cord, sorry, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. We are here to pray with and for each other. Let's break down some of the ways that we see this in James 5, 14 through 18. We see the elders. Those are the leaders, the shepherds of the church, and they are called to care for the sick by asking God to heal. And then we trust God's sovereign hand as to whether he heals or not. That is a way that we care for and experience care from others. I want to talk to you about what this looks like at Christ Chapel and how we live this out. Our elders do pray for the sick. They pray for any need or hardship that someone has, whether it be physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. They pray for that. Look with me as what we've read about the, for lack of a better word, job description of each person here. It is the job of the person who is sick, to simply call for the elders. 
What is the elder's job? They pray in faith. They believe God is good. They believe God is power and able to heal. They don't know if he will, but they trust in God and in who he is. And then they anoint that person with oil. That's a representation of the Holy Spirit's presence and healing power. That is what the elder's job is. What is the Lord's job? It is the Lord who is the one who is capable to heal. He is able to save the one who is sick and raise them up. He knows what is best and has a plan that sometimes we don't understand and it's hard. Sometimes he heals, sometimes he doesn't, but we trust him in that. A special note, sometimes you may hear of people talking about, well, that person wasn't healed because they don't have enough faith. A couple of things to remind you from this passage. One, it's the Lord who decides and is the only one that has the power to heal. And even if it was dependent upon the faith of someone, which it isn't, the person who is sick isn't even called to pray in faith. It's the elders who do. Now, again, the elders don't decide whether to heal or not. It's the Lord who decides. But we shouldn't look at someone who is sick and think, well, they just haven't prayed in faith. That is not what the scripture teaches. As I mentioned, this is something that our elders do for us at Christ Chapel. I was actually talking to a friend a few months ago. We were just chatting about our weekend. She happens to be married to an elder. She was not remotely complaining. She loves it. And she was talking about how busy their weekend had been. And she made some comment about her husband getting up early to go here to pray for someone. And she mentions offhand, almost as an aside, he just thinks that that's one of the most important things he does as an elder here at our church. And I stopped her and I said, really? And I thought, what a heart of our elders. They are not people that just like to order people around and dominate. We have an elder who thinks that one of the most important things that he gets to do for us is pray for those who are sick. And that brings chills to my body and tears to my eyes as I think about what a kind gift that is to me and is to us. At times, we at Christ Chapel, this isn't the only time the elders pray, but we have elder healing services where you or anyone in our congregation can come and be prayed for. A number of years ago, I had been experiencing some long-term health problems, and I'd been to many doctors, and I wasn't getting any better And the service was coming up and there was that part of me that thought, oh, I don't need to bother them. I'm not dying. It's not that big of a deal. But it had been longstanding and I really was sick. And I thought, based on this passage, Kathy, you need to go. So I went and I quietly sat in the service. And when it was my turn, I went down and an elder asked me what to pray for. And he was incredibly kind and he put some oil on my hand as an indication of this passage. And he prayed for me in faith. Did I wake up or get up immediately healed and perfect? No, absolutely not. Um, In time, though, I'm going to say absolutely not. God could have. He chose not to at that specific moment. And uh, years later, as I've gradually gotten a diagnosis and some things that are helpful to me, they're not totally healed, I've reflected back on that. And I've thought, I think, I fully believe, actually, that that was a means to part of the wholeness that God has brought me as I've wrestled with that. We have elders who are kind and pray for us, And the Lord uses that. Verse 15 can be a little tricky. And so I want to point it out. It says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 
Does that mean that we believe that everyone who is sick, whom the elders prayed for, has sinned and that is the cause of their problem? No, we do not. The scriptures are clear that many of us have different hardships and sicknesses that have nothing to do with our sin. However, could it be? Sure. I don't know about you, but if I'm sinfully bitter or angry for a couple days, I'm physically exhausted. Absolutely, my sin does cause problems for me mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Sin could be at the result of why I'm sick or struggling. David, in our verse sheet on Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, talks about a time in his life where he had kept silent about something he was struggling with, a sin, and here's how he describes what that is like. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away and through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So if at some point sin is at the result of something or building into a difficulty I'm having, praise God, I can go to Jesus and I can ask for forgiveness and he can forgive me and I can experience holy wholeness and healing in that area if that is what is a part of my specific struggle. To be honest, though, that's a great practice for me all the time. (laughs) It is a great practice for me to have people in my life that I'm confessing my sin to, that know what I struggle with, and that are praying for me. I am motivated by God's grace and his forgiveness and the fact that I want to be holy And I want to be whole, and it is a gift to me to be able to share that with people who know Jesus such that they will pray for me. A few reminders as we talk about what confessing our sin to each other looks like and praying for each other. It doesn't say that I need to tell every person every sin I've ever had every time I see them. There is some wisdom to be used. Yes, I need some people to be honest with, but I'm not going to stand up here and tell you every sin I have. It doesn't make you or someone hearing my sin, a priest or a savior, they cannot forgive my sin. God is the only one who can forgive my sin. And yet those are people who know Jesus and can remind me that God will forgive my sin and to believe and walk in that when I ask. It is people that can provide accountability for me and I for them. Maybe they would give me insight. Maybe there would be a warning. Maybe they could help me. Maybe just saying it out loud brings some freedom And while all those things are important, that is actually not what's highlighted in this passage. What's our theme? What does the text say? It says, confess and pray for one another. Not just are we hearing and doing those things to help, but are we praying? Last night, this may seem really funny to you, but a couple of people came to mind who I knew had been struggling, and I'm usually quick to pick up my phone when that happens and say, hey, how are you? And that is not a bad thing to do. But I gave myself a rule last night because of this passage. I was like, Kathy, you're not allowed to text them tonight. You're only allowed to pray. Not that texting is bad, and I've already texted them this morning because my rule was that I could only not text them last night. But in light of this passage, I thought, you know something they're struggling with. James tells you to pray for them. So I prayed for them. Perhaps you have an accountability partner. Perhaps you have something that you have been hiding. Let me be the person that tells you Jesus will forgive anything, anything that you ask him to forgive. You can talk to someone who knows Jesus, your women in the word leader, reach out to someone who knows Jesus and confess and have them walk through that with you. It does not matter what it is. 
But may I also encourage us just to make asking people to pray for our sin and things we wrestle with a part of our everyday life. If someone asks you, hey, what are you going to do for the holidays? Well, I'm going to visit my family. We're going to do this, going to do that. And can I ask you to pray? I tend to just say things when I'm around my family that are not great. Would you pray that I would be careful with my speech? Hey, how's work going? It's great. And we're going to talk about all these different things. And here's work great. And it's okay to say. And every time my boss walks by my desk, I internally roll my eyes. And that is not the attitude I want to have. Would you pray that I would walk in God's grace with my boss. I had a friend, again, another opportunity. I woke up this morning to a text from a friend that I hadn't talked to this week. Hey, you've been on my mind. I've been praying for you. And I said, oh, that's so kind. And it was really encouraging because the Spirit brought to mind, and I'm praying at Women in the Word, this, teaching at Women in the Word this morning. Great, she's praying for me. And I texted back, oh, that's so great. I'm teaching at Women in the Word today and tomorrow. Would you pray for me? that it goes well. And because of this verse, I said, and also, will you pray that I care about honoring the Lord more than I care about what the people listening think about me? And that was because I really wrestle with what you think about me. And so I thought, well, I'm asking her to pray. Why not just confess what I might sin in and ask her to pray that I don't? to pray that we would have strength to not sin, to pray that we would honor the Lord, to pray that we would run to him quick with confession, to pray that we, whatever comes to your mind, I need people that know what my struggles are, that yes, are holding me accountable and are doing all those things, but I want to be healthy and whole in every way possible. And God has given me the gift of being in a body in a group project with people in my life who know Jesus, who will pray for me. And I want to confess my sins and ask them to pray for even things that might seem simple, which are actually still really hard, because it matters to me that I am able to honor the Lord in those things. So do our prayers make a difference? Well, God gives us an example that's pretty clear that they do. In verses 17 and 18, we read about Elijah He lived in a time with a king who was very not godly. King Ahab was the king of Israel, and he was not a good guy. God had warned him and the nation of Israel not to sin, not to worship idols, not to do a variety of things they were doing to dishonor the Lord, and yet they kept doing it. And finally, it was a time for justice. It was a time for consequences. It was a time for God to bring upon them what they deserved and would hopefully bring them back to him. And so Elijah prays and what happens? For three and a half years, it does not rain. Do I think that my friend praying for me this morning matters? Yeah, because you know why? She's righteous because Jesus gave her his righteousness. If we're in Christ, we are a righteous person because of Jesus. And because she has a nature like Elijah, which means she's human, You are human, you are not perfect, but she's praying for me, and I believe it makes a difference. Like Elijah, we want to be women who pray persistently, not just once, one time. We're used to a quick Google search, and that is not often how prayer works. We want to pray in line with God's word. Elijah didn't just come up with this idea for holiness and justice and punishment and repentance. 
It was God's idea. And in fact, look on your verse sheet with me at 1 King 18, verse 1. It is God who comes to Elisha and says this. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. Elijah doesn't just decide what to pray. He prays in line with what God has said, with what God's word says. That's what we want to pray as best we can. And Elijah doesn't have the power to make it rain or not rain in and of himself. We pray with what? Faith in the power of God and of God's sovereign plans. We get to pray and God uses that as a means to work. I know that we could spend an hour, a whole lot longer even, talking about the nuances between God's sovereignty and our prayers. And to be honest, that matters. And there used to be a time that that stressed me out some, and I'm not saying it never does. But there's a season when God gave me some insight that has significantly changed my prayers and my boldness in my prayers. And this may sound weird. I pray more boldly because God is sovereign. If God was going to do everything you asked and had done everything you've ever asked, if he had done everything I ever asked, do you know what a messed up place this world would be? It's a really great thing that sometimes God says no. It's a really great thing that as I pray, sometimes he redirects what I pray for. We would all be married to our third grade crush if we all got everything we asked for. None of us want that, right? Yes, it can be frustrating at times in prayer, but do you know what makes me bolder in praying? The fact that God is sovereign and is good, and I get to be a part of it, and he may use those prayers But praise God, he has not given me everything I have ever asked for. That would not be a win for me or for you. Let's keep going and read in James in verses 19 through 20 as we look at this group project that we're in. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. As I mentioned, it is a group project, and we get to prayerfully look out for each other. We are not in this by ourselves. Our relationships with God and with each other call us to help each other stay committed to the truth. We watch out for each other because we know that life is difficult, and we know that deception is real. To be honest, I've been reading through James. I've been living my life. I've been trying to listen to the Lord. I'm aware that I have a deceitful heart. I am aware that I am tempted by sin. If you have somehow made it through James without being convicted by anything, I either need you to be my mentor or we need to start James over. (laughs) Because, Because we're all sinners. You have read things here that you know you sin in. I can't do this by myself. I'm not perfect. I need your help. So I want us to look at this through the lens of when we are the person that gets to help someone else and when we are the person who needs help. Something that struck me really significantly is this passage doesn't say, if you see someone wandering from the truth, go tell them they're wrong. Now that may be a part of it, 
But it doesn't say that. It says, bring them back. That is a different command than just telling someone they're wrong. We live in a world where we are inclined to either tolerate things and say absolutely nothing or yell and scream at people and tell them they're wrong. And I don't think either one of them is hitting the mark. We need to bring people back. Let's talk about what that might look like. First of all, I know you know this, but it's a good reminder for me too. I'm not the Holy Spirit. My job is not to make them live up to my preferences. My only concern for them should be the truth. I'm not the motive police. I can't know everything a person is thinking and going through. I need to listen and ask lots of questions. And yet, I and you need the courage to know what truth is, to bring it up, to ask questions, and to, yes, at times, share where someone may be off. But do we do that in a yelling, screaming, self-righteous type of way? Is that effective? Would that make you want to come back? It wouldn't me. Look on your verse sheet at how it is that the Lord brings us to repentance, which is what we want. We want someone to repent and come back. Read with me Romans 2, 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? As we help each other, as we struggle, we want to do it with extreme kindness. That is far better received with friendship, with multiple conversations, with care, with wisdom as to what to say and when to say it. Yes, we need to know what the truth is and we need to hold to it, but with a kindness and a wisdom that can lead people to repentance and to come back. And to be honest, because this is written to a group of believers, I need to read this and remember, as I said before, I'm a sinner. What if I'm the one who wanders? It could happen. I want and need to put ourselves in relationship with other people who will keep me walking in the truth. I think that I joined Christ Chapel for the weirdest reason anyone has joined Christ Chapel. I didn't come to Christ Chapel for the weirdest reason, but I think I joined it for the weird reason. Actually, to me, it's not weird, maybe abnormal. There was a season in my life, which I was attending Christ Chapel. I was loving it. I was serving. I was a part of everything. And I thought, you know, God in the scriptures outlines what is supposed to happen when you wander. It's in Matthew 18. And there's a process you're supposed to walk through of church discipline of different people that can step into your life to bring you back. And I didn't talk to anyone about this. This was just in my own head. And I thought, well, part of that is that the elders would call in and talk to you as a member about how things are going and help you and want to bring you back. And I thought, well, if I'm not a member, can they come and talk to me about my membership? I was like, well, probably not. I wasn't in some sort of major sin. I wasn't keeping silent about anything at that time. But I know me. And if I ever do... I don't want to miss any opportunity to be brought back. I looked at a friend while I was studying this, and I meant it dead on serious. To my knowledge, I'm not hiding something from anyone right now, but I'm a sinner. And I looked at her and I said, please don't ever let me go. If you ever find that I have walked off, 
in any way that does not cause you to sin, would you please walk into whatever mess I've made? Would you kindly help me clean it up and wash it off my face and show me where I'm wrong and bring me back and restore me? Please don't ever let me go. And my good friends also know this. Yes, I want to be brought back if I've ever set the block on fire. Please come get me. But I also want people in my life, not who nitpick, but my people who will, before I even set the block on fire, kindly help me notice where I'm off. I have a friend who she was a part of a group who was meeting together to talk about healthy eating and exercise. And many of them had been off the path for a while and were trying to get back on. And there was one woman in there who had not been off for very long and wasn't in a terribly bad place. And they said she was kind of sheepish and apologetic about, oh, I'm sorry, I'm here. I know some of you struggled for a while and whatever. And she said, we all looked at her and said, we wish we would have come when we just had a little bit of a problem. Now, I'm not saying go to all your friends who sin once and have a bad day. But let's be people who are kind with our friends to help ask questions and not just point out what they're wrong, but to help them get back. We are in a group project. We are trying to live out James together. And as I've been studying James and had this idea of a group project, I've been reminded of or been thinking about how teams often prepare for a season if they're playing in a game. You know, they meet together, they join the team, they get their jersey, they get to know each other, they practice, they talk about different things that need to go on, the coach teaches them some skills, they tell them what to be aware of, and then they get to the first game and they're standing in the huddle And the coach reminds them of some of the important things that they've talked about and gives them some final words. And while at times we can get to the end of a Bible study and think, oh, that was great, and I hope that you think that. And I hope that you look back refreshed and love what you've learned. But I just don't have this idea that James is kind of fine with us getting to the end and going, oh, that was great. I feel like he wants us to play the game. I feel like what we've been doing in James is just the beginning. And I imagine us standing in the huddle and I imagine the coach looking at us and saying, all right, we've talked about some things. Let's remember, you need to walk with God. He's your friend. Constantly talk to him, listen to him. We've been talking about this. We've been training for this. You need to do that. Go do that. Remember, I asked you at the beginning what you needed to tweak about your prayer life, what you needed to grow in. We've been training for this, right? And the coach says, it's not going to be easy out there. There's another team. Things are going to be hard. There's going to be trials. There's going to be temptations. And we've all learned that we have deceitful hearts. Not if, but when you notice those things. This is an opportunity to grow. This is an opportunity to grow. And I've given you some things so that you are going to be able to grow. I've given you God's word. I've given you his wisdom. And I've given you each other so that you can grow in maturity. We're in this together. It's a group project. We're not by ourselves. And I've given you these things so that as a team, we can do what? We can glorify God and we can care for each other and care for others and share the gospel and talk about who Jesus is and all the things in Scripture as we skillfully live out our faith. 
This is what I've been doing. We're not at the end, we're at the beginning, and the game's getting ready to tip or kick off or whatever it says. You know how right before the team tends to go out, like everyone kind of puts their hands in the middle of the huddle or whatever it is, and it's like, go team, or they say some kind of thing. And I imagine us now standing there at the end of our study of Women of the Word, not at the end, but really at game time. And the coach has equipped us well. He's told us what we need. He's given us what we need. He's told us what to look out for. And he's saying, all right, ladies, let's go. Put your hand in the middle, look at each other and say, let's go do this thing. Ladies, let's do it. We have a big God. We have a great God. We want other people to know him and we want each other to experience more of him. Let's do it. Let me pray. Father, we are so grateful for your scriptures. We are grateful for the gift of prayer. We are grateful for the friendship that we have with you. And Lord, I am grateful for every single woman listening to this right now. You have given us each other as a gift, and you've given us a whole lot of responsibility and a whole lot of opportunity. And God, at moments it's overwhelming, but it's also incredibly exciting because we know that you win in the end, and we know that you are more powerful than any opponent we will run across. And we are honored that by your grace you have put us on the team. Thank you, Jesus, for your salvation that has made that possible. It's time, Lord. Would you help us do this? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.